Welcome to the Top 5 Ransomware Observations and Behavior Trends for 2021. Today's panel discussion will be led by moderator Sia Yasso-Tornrat with esteemed panelists, Dr. Chase Cunningham, cybersecurity expert and author of Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics and Strategies, and Mike Davis, CISO at Alliant Group. This panel is provided by AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With a zero trust isolation platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to that threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. Hello everyone. My name is Sia Yasso-Tornrat and I'm your host and moderator. We're going to discuss today the top five observations around ransomware. Today, we're going to be welcoming back Mr. Mike Davis, CISO of Alliant Group, as well as Chase Cunningham, cybersecurity expert and noted author of Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics, and Strategies. Chase, Mike, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Appreciate it. Great, gentlemen. So, (sighs) ransomware, is this, it's like, I love ransomware in general and just, cybersecurity issues, because I feel like it's a gift that keeps on giving. And as we kick off and look to 2021 and the wonderfulness that was 2020, let's let's talk about some things that we're seeing. Um, do you think these cyber criminals that are going after us in 2020, the level of sophistication, what are the top ways that you're seeing them like penetrate these corporate networks to launch these ransomware attacks? Has it been that much more sophisticated or is it just more creative? I, I mean, I, I tell people this all the time that, I, you know, even if you look at SolarWinds, which yes, there was a bit of a manipulation of the software supply chain and it was a very well-crafted, you know, APT type of operation. Like this stuff is still the same thing with just a slightly different flavor to it. People still get fished. People still click links, people still download software over excessive privileges. No, no, no. Like the thousand things that we've talked about for the last 20 years are still the thousand things we're going to talk about in 2021. Like this, it, it continues to confound me that we put money, research efforts and, you know, everything else into trying to solve problems that we know what the boundaries of the problems are. Oh, interesting. So Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I got to wholeheartedly agree on that one. It comes down to the basics, right? Like he said, same, every time we see these predictions for the next year, I raise my hand and I go, cyber hygiene will continue to suck. I'm sorry. but uh, <laughs> Why are we sorry? It's a sad fact of life, well, isn't it? Yeah, it will still be the foundation, like he just said, that we're not doing. It's the same old stuff. Uh, misconfigurations, cloud security, for example, almost, well, a large percentage of the breaches are due to user misconfigurations, not to any of the system aspects. Like you mentioned earlier, leaving ports open. I don't know how many times we're going to see an AWS bucket put up there with the default password on it. Uh, But some of the other ways, obviously, backdoors, buffer overflows, uh, SQL injection, that kind of stuff. But that still can be captured, I think, under cyber lack of it. So I would fully concur with Chase that it's a, it's it's the same old lack of due diligence when it comes to keeping your systems up. I, mean, I saw an article recently about somebody that you know, there were still the number of things that were exposed that were default password credentials exposed to the internet. I mean, it's astronomical. It's a seven-figured number. Right. <laughs> it's like, 
I can I can run a Shodan search right now yeah. while drinking coffee and find something to go after. Right. Yeah, I was just gonna concur with you on that. Use that same example of uh, Shodan. It's like, oh my gosh, look at all these with the defaults. It's it's in fact, just as a quick aside, I love the word advanced persistent threat. They're really not advanced. They are persistent, but the reason they're not advanced is they they build in all the faults that uh, Chase was just talking about, the defaults that are known and things like that. So you can automate, yes, they're gonna add uh, uh, intelligence machine language, but in essence, most of the ransomware goes out program for the known um, defaults and things that we don't fix. Wow, okay, so that I would say that the number one bullet point there, should we count up or count down? I didn't even think about that. We'll just say bullet point number one. Is there can you sideways count? I don't know how does that work. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? So, okay, if I were to put that though under like a an umbrella term, could it just simply be human? The human factor is the biggest one. No, I, I think that's unfair, right? I, I mean, I'm I'm one of the worst. Where when I came out of the military, I was the first, I was the guy throwing tables over at people for clicking on links and whatever else. And I I've changed my thinking over time because it's unfair to the average user for us to them to operate in a manner that is security reliant. I mean, there's people that won't wear seatbelts. There's people that won't stop smoking cigarettes. There's people that, you know, uh, believe in, you know, lizards are running the government. Like you just can't count on people to not be the avenue of failure. Right. And by, by trying to do that, we're, we're guaranteeing bad things. I think the real problem is uh, in general terms, like we've, the industry itself has created this self-licking ice cream cone of misery. And we, we, it propagates because of the nature of business. Right. So I got to pile onto that a little bit. I completely concur uh, that you can't blame the complexity and the rest of things on the, the human element. Uh, I firmly believe cybersecurity education training is required, but it really only reduces the threat vector space. You have to go just like you have to, when you're doing protections, Assume the hacker is in. When it comes to this space, the human element, you have to assume somebody's gonna click. Then what? Then it's our responsibility to make sure the security controls are adequate to catch those. I'll just give you a quick analogy. 30 years ago, Microsoft, you click a delete, it goes, do you really want to delete this file, right? Checks and balances, the same kind of thing needs to be done from a technical perspective now. So I don't, I'm, I'm a big fan of cybersecurity awareness training, principally because people go, it protects their personal ass, uh, assets as well as the corporate, but that just reduces the volume of uh, clicks. You really need to have the technical aspects up. That's where the cyber hygiene comes in. Okay. So if we're talking about that, so would you say then that the most common, uh, I guess, well, I for lack of a better term, common attack vector. So what is the most common attack vector used then in like, let's say ransomware, because this is our topic of conversation. I'll, is it to me, I still think it's a human element, but am I wrong then based on what you guys well, just told me? I mean, it's, statistically speaking, it's phishing, right? That's where you get is, is phishing. And yes, that's a human element. But my, my, my perspective on that is if you look at the technical requirements that allow ransomware and these types of infections to go bonkers, I can't rely that people won't click on a link like Mike is saying. I mean, the studies, I think the last numbers I saw that said five-year study, they showed that basically four to 7% of your workforce is going to click a link, come hell or high water. It can literally say, don't click this link. And right. click it. Yeah. So 
like why try and do that? It should be more about putting controls and boundaries around the the reality of I'm going to get infected. Like Mike is saying, I'd stop it like that. I can live with an infection. I can't live with a pandemic. Right. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, I again, we could curve back to the fishing aspect of it. But one of the more technical aspects of it is the use of uh, RDP, remote desktop protocol. People don't, 3389, gotta love it. People, the people don't manage that. And that's one of the hackers' favorite tools, that and PowerShell. They get in there and they use those things uh, once they're inside, of course. But weak, like he said, weak user credentials, unrestricted un, uh, port access. There's a whole bunch of technical things that we do. But uh, in essence, RDP is pretty cheap to use and it's a favorite tool from a tech and PowerShell is, I mean, that the, the dangerous thing there, right, is it's native to the operating system. So, like, right. when you're doing things within PowerShell, you're just an admin running full commands, the machine. That's not malware. That's just the machine doing right. machines do. Yeah, so there are some things there. For example, I don't know the latest version, but I think PowerShell version 5, I'm a little bit off here. There's a couple of later versions of PowerShell that have a little bit better security features. In. But yeah, you're right. You're you're just you look like a system function, and that's why they yeah. do it. security features that they ask Still, you to be the admin. That's it. Right. Yeah, you look like a regular admin. So in essence, though, the uh, it's still phishing, clicking, and those kind of things. But from a technical perspective, uh, RDP gets abused a lot. Oh, I'd imagine so. I mean, I I can't tell how many times I watch these Twitch videos of these you know Microsoft you know helpers, tech support guys, and they try to RDP in and they give them right. all those permissions yeah. and say, yeah, who is that? You literally see them like coding in real time. It's just hilarious. I, I forgot the, that one Twitch streamer, but he cracks me up with what he's done. So, okay, so as ransomware gets more, uh, as ransomware continues to evolve and it gets more virulent, right? And more pervasive and widespread. Um, let's talk about, I've heard and seen about data breach extortion. What does that mean exactly, guys? Help me understand that. It's uh, it's getting pretty pretty nasty because I mean a lot of people have taken the position of you know we don't negotiate with terrorists right if you happen to get me and you've got my data then I'll just deal with it and you know, I'm not going to buy it back from you and the bad guys are saying well that's okay choice however there's some juicy stuff in here and if you don't pay me I'm going to put up your corporate secrets your dirty emails your whatever else on the internet for everyone to read I'll put it on Twitter like live stream your dirty underwear out to the world and all of a sudden. You see people going like, well, wait a minute, let's negotiate. Like, right. They might be willing to pay for that. And yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. And that's what that would be my response as well. It, that's why it's called a data breach extortion. So their tactics typically now will go in and they'll assess your sensitive data, where it's at. Uh, they'll pull, pull, pull some, just like Chase says, they'll pull some. They're going to pull some, right? They know what you have. And then typically uh, they'll uh, encrypt your backups. So now you don't have backups, right? <laughs> when you people say, oh, I back up and I ask my one question, when have you shown or proven that it's secure? It itself can't be encrypted. And then they will do just like uh, Chase said, oh, pay up. And a lot of people, well, I got backups or I got this or I'm not going to do that. I'll say, all right, well, and we'll just expose some of your data on the internet. And they are doing that to show that they're, they could do it. And then that forces you to decide, uh-oh, uh, if I don't do that, then I'm going to have to declare a data breach, which, of course, is much more public than a ransom you handle in-house. But the fact is, though, nowadays, if you get a ransomware attack, you pretty much have to assume 
there's going to be the data breach extortion that comes with it in my view. Okay, well, so not only is that extortion, you know, with the data protecting it or retrieving your data. Okay, guys, the answer question, uh, should we pay the ransom or not pay the ransom? So, I mean, it's a dollars and cents question, right? I mean, I don't know that there is a correct answer to that because it's, uh, you're, it's one of those ones where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because right. um, if you pay, then they know you'll pay and then they know right. that they've probably got other ways in and they come back and get you again. If you don't pay, they're going to make you pay. So what's the answer? I, I honestly, yeah, I, I'm hesitant to answer. I'm hesitant to say there is a right or wrong one on that one. Yeah, that's tough. In general, the FBI will tell you we never advocate, like, but it's up to you. Just like Chase said, you're going to have the business uh, reasons to do that. Uh, if you think you can get it up to speed, if you're a hospital or something like that, which has typically happened, uh, and you got to have patience and things. So it all depends on the business case. But in general, he brought up a couple of good points. Once you pay, they know they got you. Hey, even if they give you the uh, encryption key. They like to keep their customers, the golden goose kind of thing. So he's right. Well, they were in once and are they in again? So let's wait a little while and come back and do that again. So I, of course, everybody says don't do it up front, but a fair amount of percentage does. And I've heard that less than a four, a 40%, less than half actually have that work. So mm. there's part, does it even work or not? And then, of course, the Treasury recently blacklisted a couple of uh, countries and organizations that these hackers are from. You could actually be violating the Treasury uh, restrictions by doing by paying a company yeah. that's one of those restricted areas. So that's why I'm a firm believer of cyber insurance. Cyber insurance, ours does, will have uh, that information at hand. They will know uh, they'll they'll get you bitcoins if you need it. So. So it, I would never pay the ransomware without going through a cyber insurance or some forensics a, uh, agent that helped me with that. But in general, I think the downside is way higher. But if you have to, you have to. But the ransom payments are going up into the millions now. So it's not getting, yeah. <laughs> it's not a small, it's not a small cost anymore. Anecdotally speaking, I was actually talking to a friend of mine and I won't say anything detailed wise, but literally this individual who is in, a CISO type role was like, oh yeah, we budgeted for that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like the person yeah. said it so nonchalantly. I'm like, wait a second here. I, you're trying to give, ask for a 10% discount on something, but you already budgeted for ransomware. Like it just obscene to me that, that this is like part of the conversation these days. So, okay. So you guys. Well, as, just, just, real, just real quick on that one though. So, so I don't have a problem pre-planning for something, but I wouldn't necessarily put money aside. We have talked. Okay insurance agent uh, again they're very they they do thousands of breaches and ransomware so we we've already talked to them we told the propensity of not paying they already have like i said they got bitcoin brokers they got all that stuff so we my my management will not make that decision without uh, and they've got good lawyers too without our cyber insurance agent behind us and so that way we pretty comfortable with doing the right thing. And you're also paying the right guy. How do you know who it is that you're paying, right? And if you're not going to get in trouble with the treasury. So there's a lot of pitfalls with paying. So I'm a firm believer in uh, cyber insurance and using those folks uh, back end knowledge to help. Okay. Can I shift gears a little bit here? Um, no, so uh -uh. no, you can't. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. So, okay. So, <laughs> 
help me understand this gentlemen. So we've got on-prem and we've got the cloud, right? And so as we rely on the cloud more, okay, you know, ransomware in the cloud to me sounds like it's going to just accelerate and just blow up from there. So what are those causes uh, and how does, how does that actually happen, I guess? And, and I'm just observing that that's going to be a future uh, trend or issue in 2021. Well, I mean, the cloud is infrastructure now. The infrastructure is cloud. So the, you know, the trend of the adversary, they follow the, uh, the slow gazelle. You know, if you think about the Serengeti here, they're the, the lions waiting in the tall grass and they look for the, the weak, easy, slow targets. And that happens to be cloud because we've basically put a lot of the same configuration issues and, uh, you know, ease of use and connected nature of everything else into the cloud. And the cloud is, is good, but it also means more power. Like what's that Spider-Man quote, right? With more power comes more responsibility. Like it just gets bigger, better, faster. And now you're not talking about a few machines or VLAN being down. You're talking about an entire organization. Yeah, so that's, a, that's I do believe ransomware will accelerate in the cloud. Completely concur with you. Just like Chase said, some of the loose practices we've got. you Because essentially you're putting a whole bunch of data there. Well, with data comes malware opportunities, right? I mean, it just, they go together. And the fact that you've got all your data stored in some provider and files and folder structures, uh, in general though, that's gonna be pretty similar. So I don't know the exact mechanics, but the processes are gonna be the same. So yes, uh, without question in my mind, with this work from home, everybody's shifting to more on the cloud, sharing uh, how many sat, you know, I don't know if you know, but uh, Last figure I saw said the average company has about 1,900 SaaS apps or equivalents operating. Wow. Holy mackerel. Where's that data going? Is there malware associated with it? <laughs> Where is it getting deposited? Can it then infect others? So uh, short answer is uh, yes, uh, cloud, cloud ransomware will ramp up in my belief. My belief, I think quite a bit. So we talk about this uh, as far as like uh, solar winds, okay? And I hate picking on solar winds, but the more the more we learn, the more frightened I get by the day, and the more of my tinfoil hats gets more and more secure in my head. So, given that they in, were able to insert malware, okay, into the code through a platform that was not in the traditional route, right? This is was their, uh, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Orion's updating. Right. They were able to inject coding into that and insert itself and sat there for weeks or months on end and then was able to, you know, uh, trigger uh, at a later time. Do you think other stealth methods will become more sophisticated? Was this I've been talking to other individuals where they said this wasn't net new technology that they done. They just did it more creatively. Is this something that we're going to see future trends or is this a one off, you think? Okay, so uh, I'll, so I it's not a one-off. The problem with this whole, like as Chase mentioned earlier, supply chain security. Here's some. Here's a, a group that got in stealthily, social engineered, got the privileged accounts, got in, and then within an, a signed. This is the key: a sign, digitally signed upgrade. Right? You trust that, right? You're not gonna even think twice about that. Within that came the malware payload. That's the scary part. So now all of us have to assume, geez, when it says, do you want to automatically update? You, you question, wow, how good are that? Is that third party or that product's 
uh, backend security to make sure that's not happening because then you essentially can't trust anything anymore, even a signed delivery of software. So uh, yes, that's what I'd mentioned earlier. I think this is a perfect avenue for uh, ransomware to basically get the malware in to start that whole process. Chase? I mean, I don't, everything you said is, I would, I would say the same thing. It's just, um, you know, the, the one thing that does worry me is just the depth of the connected nature and what solar winds was actually used for within, you know, where it was used. Uh, because that's, I think Bruce Schneier and some other folks said it like you're, you're talking about years of burn down to get out of that hole. Uh, and it, I mean, everything from nuclear resources to you know, DOD and, and whatnot, it's, it's, it's a big lift. Okay. So, okay. Does that mean then that we wait for the next generation of releases that third-party providers provide. I mean, isn't that going back to kind of bad practices of like you should be keeping patch updates and accordingly? Like, so I don't understand where do we go from here then? If that's the case, do we wait until we have a bunch of quote suckers go first, or, or, and then you risk the patch updates not happening? Where's your brain on that, gents? Oh. All right, so uh, I don't. A lot of people got uh, caught off guard a little bit, uh, and now they see the uh, urgency and the severity of that, and the widespread. Like you can't. How would you even remotely think you could test every chip out there or every product? You can't exclusively test everything. So what we've done is we we took a back step in my company. We we put together a supply chain risk management strategy. Basically, some of the things you can do, you do your due diligence things first. You take a look at, okay, Microsoft, what, what products do you have? What are they built up? It's kind of like if you know what a bill of materials is. That's mm -hmm. like a bill of materials for the software. Like, what's going in that? So you at least have to ask and be aware uh, and start out with the obvious ones. And then you're probably going to say, I trust Microsoft. Well, Microsoft got in trouble as well. So that isn't always true. But you take a look at the stability of the company and their, uh, their need to be, uh, to have quality code. And so now at least those folks are on notice to do that. So a short answer would be, you have to understand all the risks in your company. Where is this on the scheme of things? If you've got some phishing issues and training and things that are a lot higher than that, well, then you have to take a look at that. What I would tell everybody is no matter where, whether you think you can act on it now, or it's just too pervasive and it is a big job, at least back up and see what are some of the quote low hanging fruits, things you might be able to do. Third party risk management, query those folks. Hey, solar winds, X, Y, Z, what's your quality control? Do something along those lines to at least minimize uh, the threat vector that you can, knowing that it's you can never assess everything. So that's where I call compensating controls come in. A compensating control is monitoring to a large degree. So can you put in monitoring functions to be able to spot what might be a, a false action due to malware. Okay, so then we're gonna be, I've, I've heard this for the last few years, you're looking at automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, as, these, uh, as these attacks get more sophisticated and just, you know, uh, they are able to be more tricky and more efficient, right? Because now we're looking at, you know, automation, for example, are we looking at future tools then? Is that some, that we'll see in the future that 
it's like almost like you know machines fighting against each other then i mean that the well number one i'll state this that it, i said it in my book there's no ai like the ai is a marketing term that we throw around and we put too much credence behind so there is no ai somebody send me hate mail because i know i'll get it but there is none what we're talking <laughs> about is machine learning and process optimization with algorithms right so where we're where we're going with this is you know, the reason we have this misconception, like the good guys are the ones that have figured out how to use ML and have used, you know, processes to do things quicker, better, faster. The adversaries are, are, are already doing this and there's an, there's a market for this and there is dollars and cents behind making this a verified validated, you know, uh, update for, for that market. It's, it's going to continue to proliferate, get bigger, better, faster. And unfortunately, it, if you look at the trends and attacks, they're not going upstream, they're going downstream, which means all the mom and pop shops and everybody else that now is remote and now is online and now is doing digital business are the targets. Those are the those are the new slow gazelles. And some of them have just emerged from the birth canal. Like they're just sitting there on the on the planes being ready to be eaten by whoever happens to come along. So we've you know, we've got to deal with it that way. Um, you know, we we have capabilities that will but there is not gonna be a single you know fix for for anything but i guess it, but but his points well taken so ai or what they call ai or machine language as machine learning is a two-way street right they're going to build it in to be faster better cheaper be able to avoid detection you name all that stuff so when i say compensating controls and monitoring that's kind of what i'm talking about or or some products with smartness built in call it whatever you wish they're able to monitor for uh, unusual like operating system activity and things like that. It's kind of like built-in test. A lot of equipment comes with a built-in test uh, uh, capabilities, something similar to that, only tuned to normal operations of a, of a system. There's actually a chain of thought that goes, there are some folks that put in a complete model of their system and they run the model in parallel with the, uh, uh, the actual system. And when input come in in a per debate, you could see what the model does, which hasn't been dorked with anything, right? It's the way it's supposed to be. If the two don't align, you can pretty well be sure something's odd going in your operating environment. That's another way you could do the compensating controls. But yes, uh, uh, yeah, the robots fighting back and forth or the AI malware, uh, we're gonna be more on the defensive monitoring posture mode. But yes, some of those automated techniques will need to be done there too, just because it's it's happening too fast for, to a large degree. Wow, I, I'm excited and I'm frightened at the same time, especially <laughs> where we're sitting here. So Chase, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Any parting thoughts that you'd like to share? Uh, any observations, no predictions necessarily, but any observations for what we can look to sure. uh, regarding ransomware? Sure, uh, I got one. Wherever okay. you're at, I'm the CSO, so I'm gonna tell you, you go ask your CISO, what is your ransomware risk posture and show you the key things that they're doing <laughs> to minimize that, starting with cyber hygiene. Love that. My, my two things would be number one, don't think you're not a target because you are. If you're, if you're sending electrons or sucking oxygen, you're a target. And then number two is you have the capability to not be the slow gazelle, but it's all about strategy and tactics, not about technology. Love it. Gentlemen, as always, I really appreciate your input to insights. 
And for those that want to get a hold of you, I'm assuming LinkedIn is a great way to find you on profile. Are you guys on uh, Twitter as well yeah. or any social yeah, media? LinkedIn's, LinkedIn's best for me, sure. I'm on okay. LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. Easy to find. You can even just Google Dr. Zero Trust and find me that way. So I'm out there. So my parting oh, thought, guys, is this. We didn't get to, we didn't get to Zero Trust. So I was just going to say that was going to be my parting <laughs> thought was oh, assume yes. everybody's bad and everything is yes. everyone's bad and everybody's bad and trust no one. And it's all about mitigating it. Right. Because it's going yeah. to happen. Right, gentlemen, right. you're going to get attacked at some point. So just a quick aside on that. Google implemented it. Chase, you probably know. I think it took them two or three years. Beyond Corp, yep. Yeah, Beyond Corp. They took a couple of years to do it, but uh, I think last year I read an article where they had no security mm -hmm. incidents based on none. That's a pretty darn strong statement right there. Wow, wait, say that one more time for me because I don't think I believe you. I'm sorry, say it one more time. Well, they implemented it. Yeah, what, go ahead, Chase. You sound like you, you know it more than I do. Yeah, so they, Google implemented their zero trust approach, which they call Beyond Corp, for all of their employees globally at all of their offices with their infrastructure put up. And they had zero security incidents last year for all of Google. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement right there. Absolutely is. That is so insane. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time for our next conversation, I guess. Until the next time, then. Bye, guys. Be safe. Yeah.